Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and then receive support for your dreams so you have the courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado, and today we're continuing to preview my new book, Six Steps to Improve Your Marriage Communication. In this episode, we'll look at step four, beware conditions. I'll give you a way to identify conditions that might be polluting your communication, and we'll talk about a specific strategy to disentangle conditions from the love you give. You'll also get a date night discussion prompt to help you talk to your sweetheart about conditional love without getting triggered. Are you tempted to receive or give conditions on your love? It's risky to accept conditions on love. Have you ever felt like your sweetheart will love you if you're thin or if you're rich or If you say yes instead of no. Conditions on love try to slip in without being noticed. Conditions are a shortcut and we're all tempted to take that shortcut. Love me the way I tell you to love me. It feels safe to have the rules that are implied with conditions. But rules don't allow the magic of unconditional love to flourish. We're talking about how you can beware conditions today, which is step four in my book, Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. But I will be drawing on the first three steps, overcome fear we discussed in episode 28, get clear step two we discussed in episode 29, and ask cleanly we discussed in episode 30. So if you haven't heard those episodes, you might want to listen to those first. We taste and cultivate truly intimate love only when we're seen and cherished for precisely who we are right here in this minute. If you can resist the shortcut of conditional love and cherish your sweetheart instead, you will be capable to receive the love your sweetheart genuinely has to offer you. This is rich, unfettered love, not manipulated, not sanitized by your rules. It feels wonderful, but the path to this love is risky, and that's why we're tempted to avoid it. So how do you spot conditions? Well, first, let's get familiar with the signals your body senses by looking at the example of a four-year-old. A four-year-old knows what it's like to want a lollipop. A four-year-old knows how to ask clearly and cleanly, please, 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 can I have that sucker? And when they hear no, they ask again, but I really want it. A parent can offer the treat without conditions and hand their four-year-old the lollipop. The parent gets joy when they see their child happy and the child's desire is satisfied. There are no conditions in this situation. But sometimes a lollipop comes with a multitude of conditions. Give me a hug first. Or you can have the lollipop after you eat your lima beans or implied conditions that the child can feel but can't articulate, like, if I give you this lollipop, your job is to love me more than you love anyone else. Suddenly, that lollipop isn't as tasty. The child wonders if the conditions are worth it. These conditional pairings enter our adult lives as well. 
you've seen marriages built on conditions like, I'll give you the security of a house if you build my ego and dote on me. Or I'll make a nice dinner, but then I expect to get lucky in the bedroom. We are a little ashamed to ask for that kind of trade out loud. So instead we go covert ops and weave these unwritten rules into the fine print of our love contract. Don't take the bait. The deep oneness that you long for is built on transparency and trust. This allows your integrity to remain intact. When you fall for the rules hidden in the fine print, you will feel as empty as an all-day sucker. Do you want to hear about the conditional love that I imposed in my marriage? Many years into my husband's education, I took a weekend away from my family and went to a writer's retreat. I felt rested for the first time in years. I was happy driving home and eager for a reunion with my kids. For the first time in a long time, I was imagining a sexy encounter with my husband. I walked through the door anticipating hugs and we missed yous. I was sure my husband was going to see how difficult my job was since he'd been doing it all weekend. Instead, I found my family quietly settled at the table eating pancakes. They all said hello, but there was no sign that they'd missed me. I felt the palms of my hands get a little hot. How come they don't seem excited to see me? A pang of insecurity bit at the inside of my gut. As I looked around the kitchen, there were piles of dishes. Suddenly, resentment mixed with the insecurity. And I said, you're eating pancakes? I chewed on the inside of my lip. These kids were going to be wired for hours. I'd left chicken soup. I had made this easy for my husband to do the right thing. Why didn't my husband feed them the soup? The kids were beaming. My son said, and dad let me put powdered sugar and jam on mine. I turned to my husband, cocking my head. He got my message. He'd done it wrong. I asked what they'd done that weekend. We watched The Princess Bride and had a Reading Rainbow marathon. You watched TV all day? I wasn't asking. I was accusing. My husband looked away. Did you guys go outside at all? They hadn't. Both my kids were still in their jammies, and to top it off, there was a pile of laundry in the hall. I felt sorry for myself. I was the maid who did the laundry. It was up to me to tire the kids out, and there'd be no lingering kisses for my husband and me. These kids would be sugar-wired for hours. I wanted David to take care of the kids and the house according to my standard. When he didn't, I withdrew my love. In a matter of four minutes and three questions, I managed to ice him out. He was a failure. He failed as a father, and now he wasn't worthy of my love. Now, maybe you relate to my struggle that day. Maybe you think I did the right thing by icing my husband out. After all, why should I do all the work and he gets to watch all the movies and feed our kids pancakes? I know. I bet you're tired too. That's because living life is filled with moments of exhaustion and overwhelm. The first person you get frustrated with when you're exhausted and overwhelmed is your sweetheart. That's natural. But let's look at this little snippet of time from David's perspective. The week prior to this Saturday movie fest, he worked two 36-hour shifts. 36 hours in a row, twice. 
And while he was at those shifts, he cared for a man who was stabbed, a drug overdose, a stroke, and a three-car accident. My husband had to tell the surviving gentleman in that accident that his wife and one of his sons had died. My husband started that weekend wrecked, but he was eager for me to get a break. So he did what he could, and he cozied up on the couch, putting a kid in each arm, and snuggled his kids while they watched TV so he could snooze off and on. We were both tired. If you're lucky enough to live with your sweetheart dozens of years, you will encounter a situation similar to this multiple times. When you're tired, you think only of yourself, and you think your way of living is the only way. You lose perspective. You can't see that there are lots of ways to live and love and be in the world. I lost perspective. When David didn't do things my way that weekend, I withdrew my love. If he didn't do it my way, he didn't deserve my love. My love became conditional. And although I didn't say it aloud, my body sent him a message as I headed down the hallway to sort laundry with a vengeance. David, you don't deserve love unless you parent our kids according to my criteria. Do you know what my husband did? He called down the hallway after me. We were happy until you came home. Ouch. But it was a really good wake-up call for me. David rejected my conditions on love. He knew he'd been a loving father to his kids. He had been loving to himself as he rested and inhaled the scent of each of his children still alive, able to be held and snuggled. He'd been a loving husband to me to say, go to your retreat, I've got this, even though he was exhausted. I put conditions on my love for David because I thought I knew the best way for him to love me and to love our kids. But I was wrong. The best way for David to love our kids that weekend was to hold on to them and be grateful they were alive. That restored him as a father who suddenly felt very vulnerable. When David rejected my conditions, I was forced to question them. I couldn't manipulate David into behaving the way I wanted by withholding love, so I needed to rethink those conditions. Rethinking helped me to see I'd been unfair. I saw that I wasn't offering my love unconditionally. I was trying to change David. With his rejection of my conditions, he was telling me, I'm worthy right now. I'm worthy of being loved. You, dear reader, you are worthy of unconditional love right now. Your sweetheart is also worthy of unconditional love right now. You do not need to change in order to be more lovable, and neither does your sweetheart. Unconditional love is magic. It's healing. It beckons the best part of you to wake up over and over. Assume you and your sweetheart are both lovable right now. Now, if I had walked through that front door assuming that David was worthy of my unconditional love right now, 
I would have seen the messy dishes and the pancakes and gotten curious instead of accusatory. I would have asked about his weekend, are you okay? I noticed you didn't do the dishes. Is something wrong? When you assume your sweetheart is worthy of your unconditional love, you are curious first about their well-being rather than being curious first about all the ways your sweetheart let you down. Now, because my husband isn't as reflective as I am, he probably would have said, oh, I'm fine. He wouldn't have told me about the accident and the husband whose wife died, and then I'd be tempted to return to conditional love, resenting a person who's fine, but unwilling to step up and be a contributing partner. That's when it's crucial that you also remember you're worthy of unconditional love. That's when you extend unconditional love to yourself. I could have said, I came home eager to see all of you, but when I saw the dishes and the pancakes, my eagerness turned to resentment. I feel alone in this project of raising kids while you're at school or gone so much, David. When I see the dishes undone and I see you taking the easy path with dinner, I feel disrespected. And then I feel lonely. Clients regularly tell me that they have to put conditions on their love or they'll never get help with the chores around their house. However, consider the flavor of the love you receive when that's the bargain that you make. Condition-laden love is transactional. You and your sweetheart will simply accrue a tally sheet. Sometimes you'll feel owed love. Sometimes you'll feel like you're the one in debt. And you'll toss some love your sweetheart's way. This kind of love, though, it's transactional. And if this is all you have to offer or receive, you'll never swim in that gorgeous, soothing ocean of abundant love freely given. If you impose conditions, you keep yourself from the softness that love has to offer. We impose conditions because we think the rules of love will keep us safe. The opposite is true. We will talk more about what happens when you can't agree in Chapter 6, Build Boundaries. That'll be podcast episode 33. The critical distinction is between conditions and boundaries is that conditions withhold love. Boundaries, on the other hand, preserve love. When you and your sweetheart are able to turn conditions into agreements, you'll feel your intimacy grow. You'll liberate yourselves from the fine print and the rules of love and instead embrace that glorious feeling that you are worthy of love right now. Want more examples of how you might be imposing or receiving conditions on love? Then I'd like to invite you to order my new book, Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. There's a link in the show notes. Conditions on love sneak in without being invited, so it helps to have tools that keep you mindful. In addition to being helpful to you, ordering my book is a great way to support me and to support this podcast. If-then phraseology is a common way for conditions to hide. So for this week's habit for your happily ever after, let's look at the if-then tool 
that will help you get conditions to come out of hiding. In order to get your if-then conditions to come out of hiding, let's name them specifically. And so use this following prompt to get the conditions your sweetheart offers you out of hiding. Here's the prompt. If I do or don't do blank, then my sweetheart will blank. So let me give you a couple of examples. If I spend too much time with my friends, my sweetheart will punish me by getting concert tickets to my favorite band and not include me. Or if I don't kiss my sweetheart when he gets home, then he will give me the silent treatment for the rest of the evening. Or if I spend more than my sweetheart thinks is appropriate, my sweetheart will cancel plans we had saying, well, now we can't afford it. Okay, your turn to identify the if-then conditions that your sweetheart imposes on you. Think of a situation where your sweetheart withholds love from you. Withholding love is the key ingredient in conditions. Here's your blank. If I do or don't blank, then my sweetheart will... Okay, think of another one. If I do blank, then my sweetheart will blank. And one more. If I don't blank, then my sweetheart will blank. Do you think of some things? You can pause the podcast if you need to. Do you notice any patterns? How does your body feel when you recognize these conditionally loving behaviors? It's enough to notice for now. If you'd like to learn how to transform a condition into an agreement that's stated aloud, and both of you can hear everything, then I invite you to order my book, Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. An agreement takes the toxicity out of a condition by making it transparent. You can choose to agree or choose to disagree, but there's no question of love or worthiness or deserving. Now let's give you a chance to spot conditions that you are tempted to impose. Use the following series of blanks to get your conditions out of hiding. If my sweetheart does or doesn't blank, then I will blank. So here's my examples. If my sweetheart doesn't wipe up their crumbs, then I'll infantilize them by telling them what a slob they are. Or if my sweetheart doesn't listen to my story when I want to tell it, then I'll roll my eyes and stomp out of the room. If my sweetheart doesn't have sex with me, I'll punish them by talking about the hottie at my work so they feel threatened. Okay, your turn to identify some if-then conditions that you impose. Think of a situation where you're tempted to withhold love if your sweetheart does or doesn't behave according to your rule book. If my sweetheart does blank, then I will blank. If my sweetheart doesn't blank, then I will blank. If my sweetheart blanks, (laughs) then I will blank. Did you find some conditions on love that you impose? 
How does your body feel when you imagine yourself imposing these conditions? Again, it's enough to notice for now. This week's habit for your happily ever after is to just notice the if-then conditions you're tempted to impose on love. And notice the if-then conditions you're tempted to accept. Noticing how you impose conditions gives you a chance to cherish your sweetheart and get curious about what's going on for them. Noticing the conditions you're tempted to accept gives you a chance to examine where you aren't feeling worthy of love. And you're allowed to reject conditions and cherish yourself, just as my husband did with me. The more you notice whose business you're in, the easier it will be to stay in your own business and not put conditions on love. We've arrived at our date night discussion segment. This week, talk about conditional love that you see in the big world outside your home. It will help you make this discussion easier and less charged if you focus on looking at conditions in other people's relationships. This allows you and your sweetheart to be on the same team, investigating what conditions look like. You might even investigate conditions that are adjacent to the conditions you feel or that you offer in your own relationship. But when you can keep the more objective view by commenting on a relationship outside your own or in a movie or in a story, then both you and your sweetheart don't get so triggered. You're able to discuss the idea of conditions without feeling like you're a captive of those conditions. If it's fun for you to create your own list or places where you see conditional love happening, use your list. And if you need some examples, click on the link in the show notes to see a couple of examples that I've collected. Thanks for listening to the end of this podcast. And since you're here, please follow me. It helps me to grow my podcast when you press that little plus button. It would also help me a lot if you took a quick moment to send this episode to a friend. Word of mouth helps to keep this podcast growing, which keeps me here talking with you. That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions, I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.